wise, deep-thinking MC Hammer once said, you have to pray just to make it today. Anybody heard that prayer or song? Uh, or am I dating myself? But the, really, the question is, do you believe in prayer? I mean, do you like really believe in it? Do you find yourself, if you were to look back over the years, are you praying more or less than you were before? Is it difficult to pray? What about praying by yourself or out loud for others? What about in a group setting? How comfortable are you in the idea of prayer as it relates to your prayer life? How important do you think it is to use the right words when you pray? In a recent study, according to Salt Lake Tribune, out of the following spiritual practices, this isn't Christ-centered, this is just spiritual practices, uh, these are the, the ones that they talked about, connecting to a higher power, prayer, meditation, mindfulness, reciting affirmations, or spiritually-based yoga, prayer was the most common practice. If you remember a little over a year ago, on national TV, they not only talked about prayer, they actually prayed when Damar Hamlin was revived during an NFL football game. It's safe to say that prayer, meditation, or some form of spiritual practice in that realm is something most people not only believe in, but a large majority of people practice. Maybe you've heard of this app, Headspace. Anybody ever heard of the app Headspace? As of last week, this is an app that specializes in meditation. There were over 70 million downloads. 70 million. And I've shared some of my journey in, as it relates to prayer and, and, and stillness and silence over the last nine months or so. I'm exercising my prayer muscle, right? I'm doing the work. And I'm excited to invite every one of us, all of us on this journey, a journey into a robust prayer life, a journey to learn more about our Heavenly Father, a journey where we get to know and see more of the Father's heart for us and His kids, a journey where we learn, where we grow, and I'm super excited about this series. But before we jump into the series, let's do what I've spent just a few seconds talking about, and let's pray. Let's invite Jesus, to meet us where we are. So God, just come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you reveal yourself in a way that we would know it's you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is your first time joining us online or in person, we're so glad you're here. Make sure you grab your gifts and all the resources uh, out on the tables. We are in a series. This is our first week of the book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, and we're going to be going over the book during this series. We're not going to cover the entire book, uh, but, and we're certainly going to be diving into the Bible, and if you don't have one of those, those are free in the back as well. Make sure you grab one of those in one of these nice journals. If you haven't grabbed one of these, it has our reading plan in it, and of course, a place to write down some notes from today's message. In the reading plan, we will read through the entire book of Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And if you haven't purchased the book, as it's already been mentioned a couple times this morning, I can't encourage you enough to go ahead and grab that on Amazon. Um, if you don't have a copy now but would like one, who would like a copy, a free copy of Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools? Here's what you need to do. My lovely wife, wave back there, babe. If you exchange your filled-out Connect card, just walk back there to my wife. She will give you a free copy. That's, that's true. So head on back there with a filled out Connect card and you get a free copy of the book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Uh, like I mentioned, this is going to be part of our reading plan. We're not going to cover the entire book, but we are going to dive into it on one of our small groups. So if you look at your small group menu, on Wednesdays there's a small group, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. It's one I'm going to be in. I encourage you to sign up for that 
as we're going to really dive into the content a little deeper. Today we're going to spend some time talking about, I believe it's chapter 2 in your book, your prayer posture. And the thing about prayer that's often misunderstood is prayer doesn't begin with us. Prayer, prayer begins with, with God. It doesn't start with speaking even. It starts with seeing. The, the writer and pastor, uh, Philip Yancey, writes, Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. When we were on our staff retreat, uh, Craig alluded to this a few months ago, we really spent some time like thinking about and praying about what did we want our focus and our theme of 2024 to be. In addition to the stories that we're now sharing, trying to share those every Sunday morning, we wanted prayer, the prayer life of everyone in our church as a whole, to really rise. We want to train, we want to equip, we want to challenge, we want to celebrate, we want to encourage, we want to provide tools and opportunities for people to retreat, to come together, to seek silence and solitude with the Heavenly Father. And like a lot of things we talked about on that retreat, the number one thing we have to do individually and corporately as a church is to create space. We have to make time. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard once was asked, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? That's a, such a great question. I think we all want the answer to the, the question, how do I become spiritually healthy? Well, after a long pause, D- uh, Dallas Willard offered this response. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. According to Willard, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life, of our spiritual health. Michael Zigarelli from Messiah, Messiah University did a five-year study on 20,000 Christ followers in the U.S. and identified busyness as the number one distraction from life from God. He summarizes his own research with this conclusion. He said, It may be the case that Christians are assimilating into a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Do you agree with that assessment? Does it sound too familiar? There is good news, however. There is a solution to our problem of hurry. There is a way forward, and we need not look far. We can look to the life of Jesus. And throughout the New Testament, when you read and and see Jesus live his life, you see him withdraw, you see him seek solitude, you see him constantly finding time to spend with the Father. And it didn't matter if he had traveled all day, it didn't matter if he had served all day, it didn't matter if Jesus healed all day, it didn't matter if he was wanted by the community and the people to continue teaching, serving, and healing, it didn't matter. Jesus would pull away. He would seek refuge. He would rest in the presence of his Father. And this not only is our model, this is our way. If we want a healthy spiritual life, a vibrant life with Jesus, then we must learn how to make it a priority to create space and make time for being still. We have to learn how to slow down. Psalm 46 says it well. It says God is, not could be, not might be, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, since he, since he is these things, we will not fear, though the earth give way 
and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and the foam of the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her break at Help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The message paraphrase says verse 10 this way. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. It is in our stillness that we see who God truly is. Stillness is the quiet space where God migrates from the periphery of our back to the center of our lives. The great writer Henry Nouwen said, Solitude is the furnace of transformation. He goes on to say, Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled with the illusion of the false self. Solitude is the place of great struggle and the great encounter. The struggle against the compulsion of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substitute of the new self. But being still isn't just about an act of not moving. It's also about stilling our minds and refocusing them on Jesus. Being still, finding solitude, silencing ourself isn't easy. There is noise everywhere. I mean, just... If we were trying to be silent right now, right? We hear the, the fan of the heater in the back. Noise is everywhere. It doesn't allow us to think, feel, or process things. Most of us wake up to an, an alarm or music. We, we grab our phones first thing when we wake up. We might even listen to music in the shower. Even the shower itself makes noise and the water makes noise. We turn on a TV while we're getting ready. We get in the car, we listen to music, maybe a podcast, even the traffic makes noise. Maybe we go throughout our days and we have our AirPods in. We're listening to more music, books, or podcasts. We come home to even more noise. We turn on Netflix or our favorite uh, streaming service. We watch reels on our phones. Some of us even turn on white noise to silence the noise. For many of us, the only time we're still... The only time we have silence is when we are sleeping. Our science actually supports, improves the benefits of silence. In an article from just this past December from calm.com, it lists five great benefits of silence. The article starts by saying, silence isn't just about being away from noise and other stimuli. It's about giving yourself the space to grow, think, and breathe. It says when we make silence a regular part of our day, we can experience the following results. Reduce stress. Anybody want to sign up for some reduced stress in their lives? I'm in that one. I'll take some less of that. The article points out that when we're in a quiet place, our body is better able to relax. 
our brain has a, has, has a chance to stop being an overdrive, overthinking. And we may feel the tension begin to slip away. The second um, benefit is we can help improve mental clarity. It points out that without the, all the distractions, it can be easier to concentrate. Just think of it as your brain going on a little vacation so that it returns to work again. We can show up with more energy and clarity. Number three, quiet time or silence can help with enhanced creativity. Quiet moments can spark our best ideas. When it's silent, our minds can wander and dream up all sorts of creative things. It's like planting a seed in a garden, nurturing it, and watching it grow, it says. Number four, quiet time can help emotional regulation. Silence gives us a chance to catch our breath and understand our feelings. It lets us press pause on a busy day and check in with ourselves. It helps us feel more balanced and in control of our emotions. And the last, quiet time can help increase self-awareness. It's possible to learn more about ourselves in the quiet moments. Listening to our thoughts when the world gets silent can help us get to know who we really are, leading to insight about ourselves and our place in the world. And this is just the benefits. Like, this doesn't have anything to do. We haven't even taken into account the spiritual implications and the positive results that silence can have. Remember what writer Henry Nouwen said about silence? He said, solitude is the furnace transformation. In silence, we experience the mindfulness that we are the created, not the creator. In silence, we begin to understand that there is a loving creator God who gives us our true identity. In silence, we experience God's love. In silence, we experience the non-anxious presence of God. And because of that, we become less anxious ourselves. In silence, we learn, we prepare ourselves for the noise of life. And I know as you guys hear all these benefits and all the things that can happen, I know with all my heart, every one of us are like, sign me up. I want the benefits of it, right? We want these results in our lives. And as I'm speaking right now, there's probably not too many of us that are thinking, you know what, I'm not even going to try this, right? But I also know life happens. We're going to leave here this morning, and the demands of life will not have passed. They will not have changed there's still going to be bills to pay. There's relationships to repair or work on. Work is still there. You've got to contend with that. There's a house to clean, a car to fix. There's still going to be busyness of our kids' activities, whether that's practices and games. We've got to attend those. School functions to go to. There's homework to do. There's still the conflict that's laying out there that you haven't dealt with. There's still all the other stresses that you walked in with. There's the fear of the unknown. There will still be busyness and noise of our everyday life. And I know it's easy to read Psalm 46 and go, yes, I love that. I want that. I want to believe it's true. Maybe it'd be helpful if I provide a little bit of background on this psalm. When this psalm was written, Psalm 46, when it was written, there was a powerhouse of the day, the superpower Assyria, and King Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, and he thought he was a god. And under his leadership, Assyria was dominating the surrounding nations, just destroying them and overtaking them. And during this time, Israel was divided into two sections, the northern part of 
Israel. The southern part was uh, Judah to the south. And Israel had already kind of lost their way. They weren't following God, and Assyria had already conquered them. The smaller Judah had a remnant, just this small following of people that were trying to follow God. Their king, Hezekiah, kicked all the false idols out of the temple that were uh, you know, following these, these false gods, these man-made gods. He kicked them all out, and there was this revival beginning to happen. It was then that Hezekiah, their king, decided he had had enough. He quit paying the taxes that Assyria demanded that they pay, and Hezekiah decided that Sennacherib was not a god at all, and he was going to trust in the one true God. Sennacherib obviously hears about this. They're not paying the taxes, so he decides to show Hezekiah who he really is, and he sends an army of 200,000 men, and they camp outside the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's kind of set up on a hill. It's got this beautiful, great wall of protection, they're not, they're not discouraged at all. So Nacre just decides, you know, we're just going to wait it out. We're going to starve the people. Try to put yourself into the story. We say that a lot around here. Insert yourself. You're one of those people. You wake up, you look over the wall, and you see a sea of men, an army, the powerful Assyrian army, too many to count. You hear shouting and mocking from the army about how they're going to kill you and your family. They're going to kill your friends. They're going to kill your neighbors. Your country was next on the Assyrian list. Then one of Hezekiah's generals asked one of the Assyrian leaders to talk in Aramaic, not their native tongue of Hebrew. So just the leaders could talk. Nobody else could understand what they were saying. You can read all of this in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. The Assyrian leader's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk in our native tongue of Hebrew so everybody can hear. Everybody can know what's going to happen. We're not going to hide any of this from them. The Assyrians give Judah one more chance to come out and surrender. To trust them and their God, Sennacherib. To stop trusting in this God that Hezekiah is worshiping. They remind Judah that if they stay and they do not surrender, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 27 says, Then you will eat your own dung and drink your own urine. Then the commander yells out for everyone to hear. He says this, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, their king. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land of your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, prosperous land, a land of olive oil, of olive trees and honey. Choose life, he says, not death. Then the commander reminds Judah that all the other nations had gods too and not one of their gods was able to save them. So why would this be any different. The people of Judah are terrified. They're, they're fearful. And the reality is we all have Sennacheribs in our own life, right? Money's tight. Bills are due. Relationships are, are sideways. Marriages, marriages are in trouble. Things at work are hard or uneasy. Things at school are difficult. There's noise in life. It's distracting. These things 
are what pull us away and distract us from the silence of God where he can do the work in us. Well, Hezekiah has the actual noise of 200,000 men, an army, that's threatening not just his life, but the people he gets to lead. And instead of coming up with his best military plan or his best laid plans, he sends a message to the prophet Isaiah and asks him to pray. And then Hezekiah goes to the temple by himself, and there he lays face down. This is the king of Judah, the, the most powerful person in the nation. He lays down, he humbles himself before God, and he prays this prayer out of 2 Kings 19. He says, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib. He is sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, the Assyrian, Assyrian kings have laid west, uh, waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that, here's the reason he's asking this happens, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. It's in this moment that Asaph, the songwriter, one of the sons of Korah, is watching Hezekiah pray in the temple. And he begins to write this song, Psalm 46. This is before God has done anything. The backdrop to this psalm is impending doom at the hands of Assyria, just like every other nation before. Let's read it again. God is the confidence in who God is, our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. They're in trouble. Therefore, since we know that's true of who he is and his character, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the chaos of sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, all the weapons of war. And he burns the shield with fire. And then God speaks. And God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still literally means cease striving. Stop. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. When we are still, when we cease our striving for what's next or what we think we should do, when we stop and quiet ourselves to listen to God, then we begin to release control. 
then we begin to see things from God's point of view. We begin to see that God does have our back, even when or if things don't go the way we want. Getting quiet, finding solitude, seeking, searching, looking, and listening for God can be the difference between a good idea and a God idea. But above the the direction God provides, above an answer to prayer we might be looking for, is always connection to God. We simply cannot place too high a value on spending time in the presence of our Creator God. It is worth the time. Even if we don't get an answer, even if we don't get clarity, even if we do not provide the next step, the peace and power of His presence paired with our attention changes us. It's everything. And we often impulsively regulate it to a meeting, a decision-making helper or a casual moment. When we're silent with God, we continue to be reminded who God is and who we are not. We continue to learn to hear God's voice in the silence so that we can hear it better in the busyness and in the noise. As the author of the book, Tyler Statton, puts it, he says, prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. We've talked about that a couple times. He says, God calls us to be still because the great scandal and most important work of prayer is simply to let ourselves be loved by God. And this is the journey. This is the work. And we want to give ourselves an opportunity this morning to experience that, to begin to prime that pump. So grab your Connect cards that have been talked about this morning. I'm going to offer a few next steps. If you don't mind writing those down, drop it in the offering when it goes by. You may have a different next step than we offer. That's okay. Write that down and drop it in the offering when it goes by in just a minute. The first next step might be accept this Jesus that we've been talking about, the one that offers peace, the one that offers discernment, the one that loves above everything, the one that changes us from the inside out. That's you this morning. Simply notate that on the Connect card. Drop it in the offering. Make sure you grab some resources in the back. We want to follow up with you. You're not meant to do this journey alone. You're meant to do it in community of people. And I can't encourage you enough to look into small groups and join one of those. The second next step, step is our memory verse. We have one per quarter this year, and it's the Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to read. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The great verse, not to memorize, many of us have this memorized, but to sit with and ask God to speak to us through it. We're going to skip the, the next two next steps. So I want to make sure that we're all... Uh, focus. So they're going to go ahead and we're going to receive our offering. If you want to go ahead and drop your connect cards. While they're doing that, I'm going to encourage you uh, above the reading plan of reading the, the chapters in the book, maybe spend some time this week reading Psalm 46. But here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to, if your phones aren't on silent, go ahead and do that. 
We're going to sit in silence. The best way we know how, certainly fans or something may kick on. We're going to practice it this morning. And then my encouragement to you is to find a place every day this week to find just two minutes. Set a timer on your, on your uh, phone or on your watch for two minutes and sit. Here's what I'd encourage you to even do when you're thinking about tomorrow doing it. Think right now, like, when are you going to do it tomorrow? Where are you going to do it tomorrow? When you start to begin to put yourself into tomorrow and where that practice is going to happen, you're a lot more likely to do it. So airplane mode on your phone for two minutes. Here's what you can do. I'm going to sit on this stool. I'm going to encourage you to just open up your hands. There's nothing magical about opening your hands, but I think anytime we can get into a posture of receiving, it just opens up our mind and opens up our ability to hear better. I'm going to set a timer. For some of us, it's going to feel like forever. For others of us, it's going to feel like I can't believe two minutes has gone. I'm going to pray, and then I'll start the, start the timer. So God, just come. God, we love you, and we want this to be the furnace of transformation, as Henry Nouwen said. So we invite you to speak to us, to love us. So above anything that we would receive, God, we just want to receive more of your love. God, would you show us, would you reveal to us how much you love us? How'd that feel? Two minutes. 
Watch what God can do with two minutes this week. Be seeking. We're going to end this morning in, in praise and worship. We'll have prayer teams, one in the back there, one up here. Be honored to pray for anything that's going on in your life. Always an honor. And if you want us to sit still with you, we'll sit still. You don't even have to come up with a prayer request. You can just ask God what he want, how he wants to reveal himself to you. You guys have your communion elements. The time you do that too, I won't walk through all of that, but the wafers represents Jesus' body that was broken, the juice that Jesus' blood that was shed, and we're just reminded that he continued to seek God's, uh, his father's, love for him and silence and continue to, to pursue his mission, his will, even when he didn't want to. He said, let this cup pass. But he still willingly walked to the cross for you and I. And that Jesus is always with us. You're free to sit or stand and receive prayer.